0: Father, thank you that you have sustained us since we've been apart. You blessed in unique ways. I'm sure, Lord, it was some delightful Sundays, delightful conversations. Lord, blessings that were all stored up and just ready to be revealed, and you took care of your people. Lord, today you're taking care of us by bringing us together. And we thank you for restored bodies. Um, Father, we do pray for that one particular blessed young lady in our church that is still in the hospital, weaker than the rest of us were from COVID. We pray for her help, her oxygen, pray you'd bless her blood, breathe in her lungs, drive out the pneumonia. Father, she's probably never needed you more. But our church, our culture has never needed you more. We are not scared of the Lord. We really are not frightened. We just want to know what to do. But today, what to do is you worship the Word, singing, giving, praying, gathering, telling, clinging, Father, for all the needs that have been brought into this building, physical, emotional, marital, financial, spiritual, Lord, all the way from job uncertainty to hope that's threatened, God, sin, guilt, oh, God, Jesus, you're the answer. You're the light in our darkness. May we see that more than ever today. Come, light of the world come light of the world and shine on us come light of the world and shine on us it's in your name i pray amen when you read the gospel of john it doesn't take long for you to see a huge tension in that book and it's basically light versus darkness in the book of john you'll see the word light used 22 times and Most of the time, it's followed somewhere very close by with a reference to darkness. When you see the word light in the book of John, you always need to think of the word truth. Jesus came in the beginning of the book of John, says he was the light. And soon after that, it said he came to explain or reveal the truth about the Father. So light in the book of John is equal to truth. And so anytime truth is revealed, everything that's not true is all of a sudden put in tension with that which is true. That's why there's a tension in the book of John. Light versus darkness, true truth versus error. You can see that in verse 5 of, of, of chapter, uh, should be chapter 1, John 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has understood it. Again, that's John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness understood has not understood it. So when you read that verse, you might sort of think sort of sympathetically, oh, poor darkness didn't understand what was going on. Now this is not a a darkness of ignorance. This is a darkness of defiance. Not understanding here is not like me in trigonometry in high school when I I said, I don't understand what proofs are. I never did. I don't now. I don't know what theorems are. I don't know what proofs are. It was an ignorant not understanding. This is a defiant, not understanding, a not a not understanding. Because I don't want to see the truth. I don't want to be helped by the light. You see this hostility a little bit more. Again, this should be John one. Sorry about that. Light has come into the world. No, this is right. This is this is right. Light has come into the world. John three nineteen. Light has come into the world. Men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds. Were evil. So the world does not want, this is the reason why the world lives in darkness, they want to live in darkness. They don't want the light to make a path of understanding. 2,000 years ago, the darkness tried to kill the light of the world, and for the next two millennia, the world has still been trying to kill the light of the world. In fact, when you read about missionaries, gospel workers around the world that have died in the cause of serving Christ, it is because the world is still trying to extinguish even those who are torch bearers of the light. Maybe one explanation for the disease that is so difficult to figure out across the world now is the darkness is trying to extinguish the light of the church. I'm grateful we can meet and be. And worship the light. The, the world is filled with all sorts of darkness. <clears throat> Maybe we'll summarize them by three types of darkness. There's a, there's a moral darkness where, in moral darkness, you would see where people are not just sinning, but they are increasing in their love of sin with a decreased fearlessness of sin. So sin is increasing, fear of sin is decreasing they're more defiant more arrogant than ever i remember reading the account of the salvation experience of rosaria butterfield she was a professor of english at syracuse university and had been involved with homosexuality most of her life and she asked her partner one day what if all of this stuff about jesus is true and her partner says oh i can tell you without a doubt it is true we're not changing That's moral darkness. You know what is true. You still want to change. Then there is, and by the way, if you're struggling today with homosexuality, you want to read a winsome, powerful testimony of somebody being helped, seeing the light, freed from darkness. You can see Rosaria Butterfield's testimony on YouTube January 11th, 2013. Beautiful blossoms of hope coming out of the soil of truth. January 11, 2013. Then there's theological darkness. <clears throat> this darkness does not just involve a, a truth rejecting culture, this involves a truth changing culture. That is, you have more and more people in our generation, and a lot of times they are in charge of many uh, large numbers of people. They'll take biblical concepts and they'll change the meaning of those concepts and they will speak for God. Change the meaning of what he has said, even though God has already spoken for himself. Even this past week in the world, we saw a leader of millions of people in the world, not just rejected truth, but encouraged millions of his followers to believe that which his change involved. He encouraged theological departure, so it led to more moral darkness. Third type of darkness is a physical darkness. We are all familiar with that. This is a common darkness. This is a darkness of um, pain of living in this world. This is a report of disease that, that takes the life of your friend. This would be the darkness of of an entire village being wiped out by a natural disaster. This is a darkness of injustice. This is a darkness that we've seen a lot in this past year, not just violence, but almost an increase in the delight of being cruel in this world. It's a physical darkness that's increasing upon the land. And in the midst of all of this moral and theological and physical darkness, stands one who makes a claim that can eradicate darkness. John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a massive claim. I've done this to you for 18 years, but I just can't resist. Can you imagine me standing on the stage today saying, I I'm the light of the world. For the past 12 days, I've been in a bed. I could get up for 15 minutes, and if I got up, I was going to find a chair. I was going to find a couch, but I was immediately back to sleep. I don't feel like the light of the world. I can't imagine anybody making that claim, I am the light of the world. It was a God-sized claim was a God-sized claim for several reasons. Number one is because he was comparing himself with a major event in Israel's history. When Jesus made this claim in John 8, in the previous chapter, these people had been celebrating what was called the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tents. When God rescued Israel in their early days... Um, from the Egyptian army that was pursuing them. He took them to the wilderness and they lived there for 40 years and they lived in booths. They lived in tents. And so once a year, thousands of years later, they would come together for seven days and celebrate a seven-day festival called the Feast of now, during this time in the wilderness, God took care of Israel in two distinct ways. The first way is by providing them with water, which you could see, you live 40 years in the wilderness, you're going to need a lot of water. So when they celebrated the Feast of Booths, it was a celebration first of water. And during this time, the Feast of Booths, priests would carry throughout the city streets of Jerusalem large vases of water and bring them to the altar inside the temple. And people would see the priests pouring water And they would be reminded of those days when God provided all the water for their four decades in in the wilderness. And while all of the priests were carrying this water, on the last day, Jesus made this statement. This is day seven of the feast in John 7, right before John 8. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty... Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Again, a massive God-sized claim. I'm the water that will satisfy all of your thirst. What a massive statement. I can satisfy every longing of your heart. I cannot tell you how helpless I am. So often in a counseling situation in my office down the hall, people come in and dump Pain that I've never heard in my life on me, and I can't help them. Jesus said, I can. I can satisfy every thirst in your life. So then, when you come to John chapter 8, this feast of booths, this water carrying feast, is over. The feast is over, but Jesus is not over. He's still there. In John 8, he's still teaching right where this feast took place. And now he's about to make another large statement. I told you, God cared for the people in two ways in their 40 years in the wilderness. One, by giving them water. The second way he cared for them for 40 years is by giving them light. You're in the wilderness for 40 years. You don't have flashlights. Your iPhone doesn't work. You didn't charge it up before the 40 years started. You need light. John 7 Shoot, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I wish I am going could put this on a little COVID brain. This should be, this should be Exodus 13. I'm so sorry. Exodus 13. Because this is talking about something that happened a long time before Jesus was around. Sort of, sort of not. Exodus 13. The Lord went ahead of them in the wilderness, and he guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. So for 40 years, he gave them water, and for 40 years, he gave them light. And the daytime light, <clears throat> you don't really know what it was like. I wish we could order that DVD and just show it today. It would be so fascinating. Some type of illuminated cloud guided them for 40 years. wasn't a normal cloud. wasn't a bright white, puppy cloud. This one had extra light in it. And they knew if they followed that cloud, they would get to the right destination. And then at night, some sort of pillar or column... A fire burning right in the middle of the air, and they would follow that light at night in the wilderness. So the guidance of these supernatural lights was so important that it too had been celebrated during the Feast of Booths. So they didn't just celebrate water, they celebrated light. And here's how they did it. During every night of the seven days of the Feast of Booths, in the court of women, inside the... Temple, they would light giant caber- candelabras, and on top of those candlesticks were massive flames that shot so high you could see throughout Jerusalem fire coming out of the top of the temple. So Jesus says, when he comes to John chapter 8, I'm not only the answer for every satisfaction you have, water, I am the answer for every darkness. It's inflicting your heart. I am the light of the world. Now, what you love about Jesus when he claims to be the light of the world is it eliminates what people want to do with Jesus and say Jesus was a good man. When Jesus claims to be the God of the world, he eliminated the good man category. Because a good man does not claim to be the light of the world. When Jesus claimed to be the light of the world, one of three things was happening. He was either a crazy man, I'm the light of the world. He was either a deceptive man, or he was the light of the world. Not a good man, though. Because... If he was a crazy man, he literally, like me on stage, maybe, like saying, I think I'm the light of the world. He was deceived, and he really thought he was the light of the world. So he was a crazy man, lunatic, or... He was a deceptive man. He knew he wasn't the light of the world, but he was like one of these religious teachers that's just charismatic, and he could gain a large following through deceiving people. So he's a liar. That wouldn't be a good man. Or either he was literally the light of the world. So he was either a lunatic, he was a liar, or he was... The Lord, but Jesus Christ always eliminates in his massive claims in the Gospels and the size of his miracles, he always eliminates that he is a good man like other religious leaders are good men. He completely eliminates that option in his teaching. So what does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? Well, it means a lot of things. It means there is no other light for this world. You either have Jesus or you're in darkness, but he is the light of the world. There are no other choices for light. It means the world needs this light. If you don't accept this light, you accept darkness. It's not like there's this secondary light, this emergency light. No. When the creator of the universe designed the world, he designed it to be illuminated by only one light. Jesus. There are no other lights. A moment ago I told you that the celebration of the lights in the temple was related to God's activity of rescuing Israel when they were in the wilderness. One of my favorite stories in that regard occurred on the night that Israel was, was right at the corner, they, right at the edge of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army was driving them into the sea to drown them or for them to stay on the beach and to slaughter them. But their intent was to kill them. And so right when they got to the Red Sea, no answer, couldn't go forward, can't go backwards because of the army. At that moment, God did an unbelievable thing with light. Exodus 14. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. So the angel had been in in front of the army, in front of Israel, now the angel goes behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. What an unbelievable picture you've got. Israel, the light was in front of them so they could see the sea. Now that light moved and got right in between them and the Egyptian army. And the spotlight of God shined on Israel, but darkness shined on Egypt. Egypt couldn't move, the army couldn't move, but Israel could see everything. That was going on. So when Jesus Christ says in John 8. I'm the light of the world. He is making a direct claim. I was the light that night. That saved the nation of Israel. It's a God sized claim. It's a massive claim. So just think about Israel. That night. Those that, that, that night. That were following God in his purposes. Had light. They could see. Look seashells. Crabs. Plants. Egypt, fighting against God, could see nothing but darkness. This is what the scripture means in Psalm 36, 9. In your light we see light. We're like plants in a dark cellar. Longing for light. And until Jesus shines on our hearts, we don't see reality. You can know philosophy like Plato and math like Einstein and poetry like Shakespeare and music like Beethoven and art like Van Gogh and warfare like Napoleon and business like Drucker. But until you come to Christ, you will go through this world like a blind man. Groping in the darkness making one wrong decision after another. But when Christ comes into your life, you see ultimate reality. You see the sweetness of Jesus. You see the horror of sin. And everything becomes brighter and more clear because Christ has shined in your life. Sin is pain-producing. Serving God is joy-giving. Nothing's the same when you look at everything through Christ. The ocean is brighter. Birds chirp louder. Food tastes better. Music is fuller. And you might even love cats. Everything is better when Christ shines in your life. Even pain is better when Jesus enters into your darkness. I was talking with with a struggling college girl recently about enormous pain in her life and crying out to God, bring some light into my darkness. There's nothing but hopelessness and darkness. And one night she's reading the book of Job. I said, you know what, you being a 19 year old girl, You're probably one of five or six 19-year-olds that's read the book of Job this year in the United States. But the reward for reading that, she came across Job 9, verse 33. If only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Job here is crying out to God, I feel distant from you, God. If there was somebody who could just... Let me feel the sympathy of heaven while I'm living on the agony of earth. There there was just somebody. This is one of the clearest Old Testament references to Jesus. There is someone between that knows all about heaven and knows all about earth. She's reading the book of Job and and we talked as she shared on the phone. It was as if she was sitting on a dark beach and Jesus Christ, the light of the world, came and sat beside her. Her pain didn't go away, but the light of the world was with her in the midst of that pain. When Jesus says he's the light of the world, he means that one day there will be a, a world where there's only light. No darkness. No church cancellations. No prayers for people in intensive care, no funerals, no injustice. I love the description of that world in Revelation 21. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk by its light, and nothing impure will ever enter into it. What a world to come, no darkness. No darkness, all light. That's the hope of every believer, that one day you're going to be a part of a world where all light and no darkness. And that is what encourages us. Do you remember how the Apostle Paul encouraged Timothy? Timothy was like me, weak pastor, big responsibility, much bigger than his own capabilities. And Paul encouraged Timothy, don't lose sight of the light. That's what he told him, right, when he was thinking that he couldn't do this leadership stuff. 1 Timothy 6, 13 and 14. I charge you, Timothy, to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who lives in unapproachable light. Timothy, it's coming. All of the darkness, all of the confusion, all the hardship. Light is is coming. And it's a type of light that you've never... You can't... listen you do have hint of what it's going to be like, that light in heaven. Because we all know there are varying degrees of light on earth. What about light at the beach at 7.30 at night? It's altogether different than in the daytime. You love the 12 o'clock noon light. You're playing, you're splashing, you're wearing your little swimmies so the water doesn't hurt you. We love noonday light at the beach. But 7.30 night, Sun begins to set, and all of a sudden you look out, and there's a family of 19 children all wearing white, and there's a photographer that they just paid $4 million to to get the perfect family picture because there's something about that light that's so much better than noonday light. That light is coming to you, church, and the darker it gets here, the greater and more joyful will be your hope when you see that light. You know why you're going to go to that light? Because Jesus went into your darkness. Luke chapter 23, on the cross, the Bible says about our Lord, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole world until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining. Jesus Christ suspended between heaven and earth on the cross, No sunlight, all darkness. Why? Because he was being judged for all the darkness that you've participated in in your life. That's what darkness always means in the Bible. It's either a reference to sin or it's a reference to judgment. Here's a reference to the judgment of God on the Son of God. You can see how we know that darkness is associated with judgment. When God judged the nation of Israel uh, the nation of Egypt a pagan idol loving nation how did he judge them with darkness 10 judgments natural disasters one of them was darkness exodus 10:21 then the lord said to moses stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of egypt darkness which may even be felt you felt darkness before hadn't you it's gross it's scary. It's frightening. It's weird when you feel darkness. These people deserve this darkness. They were rebelling against God. They had exchanged God for idols. Egypt deserved it. Jesus did not. And yet he entered into our darkness that the judgment that we deserve would fall on him. And the sweetest part of all of the darkness that was on Christ It it was planned centuries before. God's been on working on your salvation for centuries. Amos chapter 8, one of the prophecies of the coming of Christ. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. He's been loving you a long time. He's been loving you a long time. He's not about to quit on you Now, so when the world looks at you and stands over your deathbed or attends your funeral and says, darkness has now come upon this body, if you were a believer in Christ, don't you believe, for in that moment it will be the light of heaven for you. Can you imagine how precious it was on Easter morning? Jesus had seen the darkness of Golgotha the judgment of God when he was on the cross. Can you imagine what that Easter morning sunrise light felt like when he stepped out of that tomb? That's your joy coming for you in heaven. And it's just around the corner. So let me close with this. How do you know that's coming for you? How do you know that you're going to see the light of eternity instead of eternal darkness? Well, Jesus tells us. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have, there's the key, the light of life. How do you know if you have a chance of seeing the light to come in heaven? The, right now, you have to have the light that comes out of his life. That's how the book of John began. In him was life, and that life was the You want to have the light of the world, you have to have the life of the world. Do you have the life of the world in you? Again, you can know that. If you have the life of the world in you, producing the light of the world in you, you will not be walking in darkness. If you're walking in darkness, it means you don't see light. And if you don't see light, it means you don't have life. Those who walk in darkness do not have light and they do not have life. The world does not want the light of Jesus because they love their life of sin more than his life of freedom from sin one last look at John three nineteen. light has come into the world men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil you'll never experience any hope or deliverance until you say to Jesus I want your life more than my life let's pray Father I thank you for the light on this stage it feels good I can see the light in the auditorium, we're grateful for those who ran wires so we can see. Lord, the light, in a sense, even causes us to feel somewhat warm with the different shades, the coloring during the music. We love light, and colored light. Lord, all just little tiny metaphors of the light that's coming in heaven. The light of the sunrise when we die. And take our first step on heaven's shore. Thank you for the light that's coming. A light like we've never seen. Lord, all we've ever seen on this earth is just light. But one day we'll see the source of light. We'll literally see light coming out of your mouth. Light coming out of your eyes. Light coming out of your hands. We'll see the source of light. We'll see the source of life. What a day that will be when we see life literally see life flowing out of you into us. We cannot wait to see a world without darkness. I pray that today just anybody would say, please somebody, God. You've already shined light on them today. They're beginning to understand they've lived in darkness. Father, would you today cause them to cry out, Jesus, I want your life so I can have your light. I want your life so I can have your light. I want your life so I can have your light. Lord, so they can begin to see what they've been missing. Lord, save those who are in darkness. Lord, for those that are in the darkness of pain today, the grips of agony and hopelessness, would you sit down with them at school in their dorm room, on a car ride home, tonight, today in their house, tomorrow at work, would they see that the light of the world is sitting with them? Oh, Jesus, radiate hope, radiate strength in the midst of their darkness. And in your time, we trust you to drive it away with the light of your radiance. And we pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.